0: Well, good evening, and a warm welcome to our online service. Uh, We're glad that you can join with us. Uh, Just as a reminder, again, after the service this evening, we're going to have our coffee time. That will be at ten past seven, and you're very welcome to join us. Uh, A link has been sent out, but if you haven't got that for any reason, uh, then do let me know. Well, Psalm uh, 103 begins like this. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. So we're going to begin our time this evening by praising our God in song as we sing, O my soul, arise and bless your maker. If you have a bible now we're going to have a reading now from the new testament letter to the hebrews uh, and our reading is going to be taken from chapter 10 and verses 19 uh, down to verse 39 so if you would turn there in your bibles to follow along uh, louise is now going to read that for us
1: hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 a call to persevere in faith therefore brothers and sisters Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For well, we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were, who were so treated. and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is God's word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father,
0: we thank you that Jesus is coming again and is going to make all things new. We thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in him. We recognize in the passage that we've just read that you call us to persevere, to keep following you at all times. But we see here how you help us to persevere and to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We see that you are faithful to us. We see that there is a good end to our perseverance, something to look forward to. It is richly rewarded. Keep that in our eyes as we follow Jesus. And we also see here how you have helped us by giving us one another to spur each other on to love and good works. You command us here not to forsake meeting together, especially in light of spurring each other on in in the light of your return. This may look different at the moment as we live in these days of restrictions, but we do ask you this. Please, please, Heavenly Father, keep within us a burning desire to be physically together again. Deliver us from losing good habits of attending church and help us to keep spurring one another on in the ways that we are able to at the moment, even if they're not what we would like them to be. We pray this because we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We want to be faithful to you. We want to keep following you. We want to be ready for your return. We look forward to that day, the day of Jesus' return. We look forward to it more than we look forward to restrictions ending. We long for the day when the restrictions of a fallen world will be gone in all their forms, when pain and suffering and sin and death will be no more. And as we open your word tonight, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us afresh and help us to live in the light of eternity. We ask this in the name of our coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, notice uh, in that passage in Hebrews how the writer talks of persevering, of, of keeping going in the faith so that we are ready to receive the promises of God. Uh, He is coming. It says, in a little while, he who is coming will come. And until that time, we keep going by faith. And our next song reminds us that we do that while rejoicing in the hope that we have in him. please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to continue in this chapter that we've been looking at over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, This week looking really from verse 36 as Jesus uh, tells us what we need to know about the future. And we've looked at this uh, in two parts so far, and this is the third and final part of this uh, chapter, Matthew chapter 24. Well, every so often um, we read in the news or hear Uh, of times when people predict, or try to predict, rather, uh, the the timing of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, Famous predictions are ones uh, by people such as the Jehovah Witnesses, who said that Jesus would come in 1914, having already predicted before that he would come in 1874. Uh, There were mass predictions of the second coming during the first millennium in 1000 A.D., and then you might remember, uh, during the, the year 2000 uh, time, there was many predictions that Jesus would come in that year as well. In 2011, you may remember in the news, uh, an organization called Family Radio, ran by a man called Harold Camping, spent $5 million advertising that the second coming would happen on the 21st of May, to uh, 2011. Uh, All that money spent with uh, billboards on the uh, roads and all sorts of things. And that time came, that time went, and here we all still are. And there are still predictions going on today. I've read of uh, reasons why it will be 2021. Uh, I've also read of people claiming Jesus must come back at least in this decade because it will then be 2,000 years since he died and rose again. Well, what all of these predictions uh, have in common certainly obviously the ones in the past is that they are all wrong and all of them could have been avoided as being wrong if they had just read their bibles now no doubt they will say they have read their bibles but the problem with how they've read their bibles is they've read the bible looking for some secret key to unlock the date of the return of christ whereas they've missed what is really obvious. What is obvious is that Jesus clearly says that we do not know the date of his return. The second advent is not an event that we can predict. Many want to know, but Jesus says that we don't need to know. Instead, what we've been looking at in Matthew 24 is what you need to know about the future. And we're continuing in this uh, fascinating chapter in Matthew's gospel where uh, we are in the lead up to the cross. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, has judged the religious leaders of his time, uh, and in Matthew 23, has pronounced judgment on the temple in Jerusalem. The disciples, if you remember, were questioning Jesus about his pronouncement. They couldn't conceive of life without the temple in Jerusalem, the the center of their religious life. They thought that the ending of the temple meant the end of the age. And so at the beginning of chapter 24, in verse 3, uh, they asked Jesus these questions. Look at verse uh, 3. They tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus, first of all, dealt with the question of when. When will the temple be destroyed? And in verse 36, Jesus moves on to the next part of their question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what Jesus shows us is that there will be and is a delay between the destruction of the temple and of the end of the age when he comes again. Now, we know this because he has told them about the destruction of the temple But in verse 36, he changes subject with the word but. He says, but about that day or hour, so about the end of the age, no one knows. Well, let's read what Jesus tells us about the sign of his coming and of the end of the age from verse 36 down to the end of the chapter. But about that day or hour, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. And it begins with verse 36 in a a clear change of subject. He's just been talking about something that we can know about, the fall of Jerusalem. And then he uses this word, but, to move on to something else. The end of the age, the next part of the disciples' question. And as I've said, there's a lot of speculation about the end of the age. There's a lot of interest in when it will happen and what it will be like. And Jesus does not give us all of the details, but rather he's telling us what we need to know. And the first thing we need to know is something that all those who wish to predict the date of the second coming need to understand and get into their minds. The timing is unknown. What is sad but amusing about all these predictions is that they've used very complicated metrics and twisted all sorts of scriptures in a mind-boggling way but missed something that it really isn't very complicated at all. Jesus clearly says here in verse 36 that we cannot predict the second coming. Look again at that verse. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven Nor the Son, but only the Father. So no one knows the day or the hour. And for those who think they do, Jesus makes it even more clear. Not even the angels in heaven know. The angels in heaven are in the throne room of God. If you like, they are in the headquarters, uh, the control center of the one who controls the whole universe. That's where they work. Even they don't know. Are you more knowledgeable than the angels who work in the presence of God? I don't think so. Well, those who make predictions may foolishly think that they are more knowledgeable than the angels, but do they think they know more than Jesus? Jesus says here that not even the Sun knows the day or the hour. But well, there is a question here, though, isn't there? How can... How can Jesus be fully God and yet not know when he was returning? I mean, God is all-knowing, isn't he? Well, that's a really good question. And here is the answer. When Jesus came to earth, he was so fully human that he experienced being a human, like we do, with all of its limitations. So when he was a baby, uh, he did cry, he, uh, and throughout his life he was hungry, and he was tired, and he was thirsty, and all the other experiences, physical and emotional experiences that we have as humans, Jesus had as well. Luke's gospel uh, tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom, meaning that he wasn't all wise As a human child but it's one of the mysteries of the incarnation that is beyond our comprehension that whilst being fully man with all of the limitations of that Jesus was also at the same time fully God with all of the attributes of that and so here Jesus is speaking as a man who lived on earth in history, who at this moment in time did not know something. But in a way that we we can't possibly comprehend, he is also at the same time fully God. It's the, the, the marvel, the mystery, the wonder of the incarnation. However, Jesus, the man, is no longer limited in the way he was before the resurrection. After he rose from the dead and he saw various people, he ascended to heaven and he went to sit at his father's right hand. We saw that last week. That was what Daniel was speaking about. The ascension where Jesus goes and he sits at the right hand. And if you remember, the right hand was the place and is the place of authority where the the rule and the reign of the father is shared with the son. And so what he didn't know then on earth, at this moment he's speaking here, he does know now. Jesus is no longer ignorant of the day or the hour. He is in complete control of it now with the Father. And we see an example of this in Revelation. You may remember uh, the the last Sunday in December, uh, we were looking at Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus takes the scroll of uh, God's unfolding plan for history and he is the one who can uh, unleash un- un- uh, the scroll. Jesus is Lord of history. That's what that part of Revelation is teaching us. He, he, can, he, he is the Lord of all of history and so now he does know when he is coming. He is under his control. But the point Jesus is making here is this. If any human being was going to know when the return of Jesus was, it would be Jesus himself. But when he was on earth, even he didn't know. And let me assure you, as much as Jesus was human just like us, being a perfect human, he knew God's ways, he knew God's word better than any man before or since. If Jesus didn't know, then there is no way any other person is going to know either. The timing is unknown. You cannot predict it. And you don't even need to try. We're looking at what you need to know about the future. One thing you need to know is something that you don't need to know. The timing of the return of Christ. So don't fall for any predictions Don't try and speculate yourself. Rather, focus attention on what we need to know. And one truth here that Jesus does want us to know about the second advent is that the coming will be unexpected. The coming will be unexpected. When something unknown is going to happen, it usually is unexpected, isn't it? And Jesus gives the example in verses 37 to 39 of Noah's day. The second coming will be like Noah's day. Well, how? Well, before the flood came, people were living their lives normally. Jesus says they were eating and drinking. They were getting married. These are just regular events in life. And they continued living normal lives right up until the day Noah entered the ark. And verse 39 tells us that they knew nothing about what was going to happen. Now, in uh, Noah, we read in 2 Peter, was a preacher of righteousness, and no doubt he would have warned people that the flood was coming, and he would have been building this big boat, which people would have seen, and no doubt asked him about, even if it was just to ridicule him. So this verse doesn't necessarily mean that they knew nothing about it intellectually, i.e. they hadn't been told, but the point is that It wasn't even on their radar they, they didn't even think about it and furthermore we read in hebrews 11 that noah and by implication therefore everybody else in the world had not seen a flood before and so as a consequence of their rejection of god's word the preaching of noah and of their lack of having experienced anything like a flood before they were not expecting it at all but the flood came and it took them all away. And Jesus says at the end of verse 39, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And in verses 40 to 41, Jesus gives a couple of illustrations. There are men in a field and women grinding corn with a hand mill. These are everyday activities. In other words, Life is carrying on as normal. They're, they're getting up and they're going to work, as they always would do. Today, Jesus might say, uh, Two men were on the construction site, or two women were in the office. And while doing these normal, everyday activities, the judgment came, just like in Noah's day. One is taken by it, i.e., I- uh, like at the end of verse 39, when they were taken away by the flood. Here they are taken away by God's judgment. And one is left behind. What he's saying here is that it would be totally unexpected. You're going about your normal day and then taken for judgment. And out of the two, these two uh, people in these two situations, there are those who are taken away in judgment and there are those who are not. Not. And the point Jesus is making is that the second coming will be unexpected. And in verses 42 to 44, he makes his application. Therefore means, because this is unexpected, keep watch. Keeping watch does not mean doing nothing but staring at the sky or doing nothing but trying to figure out when he's coming back. Keeping watch basically means being ready, being prepared. It means being ready at all times because you do not know at what hour or day your Lord will come. And Jesus gives an illustration of what he means by keeping watch with this illustration of a thief, which as we've been looking recently at 2 Peter will be familiar to us. He says in verse 43, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. We've recently, uh, in our church, had two episodes of lead being stolen from our roof. It's very annoying and very expensive. And what those thieves did not do was send the trustees any kind of notification that they were coming. We didn't get a text. We didn't get an ETA. We got no indication at all that they were going to climb on the roof and steal the lead. If they had have let us know well, we could have been here and we could have put a stop to it. A thief comes unexpectedly. You don't get an estimated time of arrival. And so will Jesus. But the difference with Jesus than a thief is Jesus has told us he is coming. Not the time, but he's told us that he is coming. And so in the same way that a householder If they know that the thief is coming would be ready, so must we be. Jesus says in verse 44, we must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how can we be ready? How do we keep watch? Well, recently in the mornings, as I've just said, we've been looking at uh, 2 Peter and he helps us in chapter 3. He says that the reason that God's coming is delayed is so that we can repent of our sin. Peter says that the delay in coming is not because the Lord is slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So being ready means repenting of sin, which means turning from it, and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven of them. And if we ask God to forgive us and we trust that Jesus has done enough to save us, we will be saved from the judgment to come. And then we turn and we follow him as our king. In Noah's day, the ones who were not taken were the ones who who accepted the offer of salvation given by the ark. The door of that ark was open, ready for people to go in. And today, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the way to escape the judgment to come. You will be taken, just like in the flood, unless you come to Jesus and are forgiven of your sins. But for those of us who have trusted Jesus for forgiveness, being ready and watching, I think, means having a mindset that remembers that he is coming, that this life is not all that there is. In Noah's day, people thought that this life was all that there was. They just carried on without a thought of the life to come. We ought to be different as Christians. The 17th century commentator Matthew Henry, I think, speaks really helpfully about this point. He says, To watch implies not only to believe that our Lord will come, but to desire that he would come, to be often thinking of his coming and always looking for it as sure and near and the time of it uncertain. To watch for Christ's coming is to maintain that gracious temper and disposition of mind which we should be willing that our Lord, when he comes, should find us in. Watching is supposed to be in the night, which is sleeping time. While we are in this world, it is night with us, and we must take pains to keep ourselves awake. So it's not only believing that Jesus has died for our sins. It is living as forgiven people following King Jesus with all of our lives. And that's really what Jesus points out in the last uh, section of this chapter. Because being ready means being a faithful servant. The faithful servants, those who are really Jesus' followers, are ready. Now in these verses, uh, Jesus gives two scenarios regarding a servant in a master's house. Uh, This servant is a a head servant in charge and and is responsible for the master's household while the master has gone away. We don't know how long the master has gone for, just like we don't know how long Jesus has gone for. But the master is away and the householder uh, who is in charge uh, has responsibility. And there is two ways that this servant could fulfill that responsibility. The first scenario is what Jesus calls in verse 45, the faithful and wise servant. His responsibility in the household was to give food to the other servants at the proper time. So you've heard the phrase, an an army marches on its stomach. Well, the servants in this home were not going to be able to work very well if they were hungry. And so the, the, the head... Uh, the head servant had to make sure that they'd got all their food at the proper time and in verse 46 we read how it would be good for that servant that when the master returns the master finds that servant being faithful and wise in his duty he's giving the the servants the food at their proper time he's he's doing all the things that the master expects him to do as one of his servants And the master, Jesus says, will put him in charge of all his possessions. In other words, showing faithfulness while the master was away is rewarded with more responsibility when the master comes back. Now, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks with the parable of the bags of gold. More responsibility, we might think, is a really bad thing. Uh, We'll see that it's really not. But the way to look at it, um, in short, is he gets a promotion. He gets a promotion because of the good and faithful work that he has done. But in verse 48, we have a a second scenario with the same servant. Rather than being faithful and wise, this time he is wicked. He says to himself, My master's staying away a long time. In other words, he doesn't think the master's coming back at any time soon. He can live as he pleases. There won't be any consequences. He's, gone. he's going to be ages. It's the equivalent of the person saying, well, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has left earth. Why should we think he's coming back anytime soon? And so the servant lives as if the master isn't coming back. He lives as he wants. He doesn't fulfill his duty. He beats up the other servants. He doesn't give them food at the proper time. He eats their food. And he eats and drinks with the drunkards. He's not thinking that the master is coming back anytime soon. He's just living it up. But in verse 50, the master does come. When he does not expect him. And at an hour, he is not aware of. And so this servant, this wicked servant, he's caught out. And there are many, many who live like this. They have no thought for the second coming. And they live however they want. They're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about the fact that they've got to stand before God. They're not watching. And when we've got no eye on the future, no eye on the fact that Jesus is returning to judge. It leads to this kind of lifestyle. But the day of reckoning is coming. And in verse 51, we read of the judgment. And it's a horrific image of coming judgment, isn't it? He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've seen that phrase in this gospel before, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of the anguish of hell. And so being ready, escaping this judgment, is the most important aspect of our lives. We can choose to live as this wicked servant and we can live it up. We can walk away from God's ways. But the timing of doing that is very short compared to the eternity where the weeping and gnashing of teeth is going on. So how can we be ready? We are ready by keeping watch, by living faithfully as servants of God, where we are faithfully doing what our master says we should be doing while he is away. And again, there's so much we don't know about the return of Christ, but one thing God has made abundantly clear is in his word, how we are to live as his people day by day. How we are to live faithfully for him. That's very clear in the scriptures as we read them. But there is a warning here as well. Notice how Jesus says that the wicked servant is assigned a place with the hypocrites. This means that the servant was claiming to be the master's servant but not living as the master's servant, or how the master's servant should live. And for those of us who are professing to be servants of Christ, we need to be living as servants of Christ, not just saying we're servants of Christ. Because we see here, and we'll see it very clearly in Matthew chapter 25, where in that chapter, whenever the judgment comes, The people who are judged are surprised that they're being judged. There are going to be many surprises on that day. Now, I'm not trying to make you um, question whether you really are a Christian and, and worry about it. Because the way that we're ready is this. Am I today, right now, professing that I believe in Jesus and seeking to live it out? And if right now your answer to any of those questions is no, then you have the opportunity to get ready by repenting of sin and turning to Christ. Jesus is coming again. He is coming. And he is coming as a judge. And either we escape his judgment through faith in his Son, who was judged for us, or we face his judgment ourselves. So what do we need to know about the future? We need to know that he is coming. The timing is unknown. The coming will be unexpected. But while we're waiting to be faithful servants so that we are ready for that time. Now, if you're unsure at all whether you are ready, then please give us a call and we would love to share more with you about how you can be ready. Just just contact us by uh, email, through the website, by phone. Uh, We'd love to encourage you to find refuge in Jesus, the one who took the judgment for us on the cross. But for those of us who are ready, those of us who are following Jesus, we look forward to his second coming. It's something that we rejoice in. And our final song is an old hymn which rejoices in the Lord being king and reminds us of Jesus the judge coming and the hope that we have in that. So let's sing together, Rejoice, the Lord is King. need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Amen.